So thankful for, for Pastor Ray McCormick and his wife Robin, all the way up here from Casa Grande, Arizona. And uh, Pastor McCormick has planted a church there in uh, Casa Grande about eight years ago. And they just celebrated their eight-year anniversary just this last Sunday. And it was kind of cool to see some, some pictures and things as they were uh, celebrating that. And uh, awesome, awesome family. I had the opportunity many, many years ago, actually when I was a teenager, uh, to hear uh, Brother Ray come. I think it was before you were even pastoring at that time. I think you were just traveling evangelism. But came to our church there in Indiana and preached. And uh, all these years later, to, to get to have him here in Whitehall, Montana, and to have him come preach. I told him last night, I said, man, it's just like having legends enter the auditorium. You know, it's just amazing. And so, and uh, he doesn't feel that way about himself, but for me, it's a special thing. And so I'm thankful for him, thankful for his wife, Robin, the testimony that they have, uh, five kids that, uh, that are, uh, that, that, I mean, we shared with, they talked, we talked last night that they have a love for God and uh, that they're, but, but they have the same problems that we do. And it's, like we said, it's refreshing to, to meet real people that uh, are doing their best to, Please God first, raise their family for the Lord, and uh, it's been such a blessing to get to know them. I'm looking forward to hearing him preaching to us this morning, and I hope you take some time to get to know him after the service. So, Brother Ray, you come, and uh, you preach to us this morning. Thank you for being with us, and uh, you bring the Word of God to us this morning. Thanks, Brother. Thank you. It is a joy to be here, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love Montana, uh, and I, I assumed before I came that I would love it because it was beautiful and big and that the mountains were just going to be gorgeous and the snow was just uh, going to fulfill everything that I was looking forward to seeing. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, the thing that Robin and I truly have fallen in love with is Montana's people. And uh, your spirit here, it's almost like... Um, it's almost like being around someone that's been uninfluenced by craziness. And I, I, I don't know, I, I honestly could say that if I went to San Francisco, I wouldn't feel the way I feel right now, okay? And it's not to pick on San Francisco, it's just that uh, the, the people have been influenced and convinced of craziness. And, and it's comfortable um, here uh, in, in some ways, it's just... It's, it's peaceful, it's encouraging, and uh, your spirits are amazing. Don't let anything rob you of that. And uh, I am just thinking about moving to Montana because I'm tired of crazy. And, uh, but uh, God is, is so good to put us in the place where he wants us to be. And we have just had a wonderful time this weekend. We sat by the window yesterday and stared outside and just stared and stared. I, I kind of felt like I looked like a little boy, you know, that on, on the morning when he woke up and he didn't want to go to school and he just sat there staring at the snow outside because uh, now he got to stay home. And that's kind of how I felt uh, yesterday. So uh, just super excited about being here. Good to have my amazing wife, Robin, with me. And uh, it's a joy to be able to travel with her. Uh, got five kids at home, Rylan, Reagan, Wren, Reese, and Rustin. Did you put all that together? Ray, Robin, Ryland, Reagan, Wren, Reese, and Rustin. My dog's name, I got two of them, is Ranger and Ruby. <laughs> got a little fish named Rocco. Okay, just kidding, I don't. And, uh, but uh, uh, 
I am just so thankful for the family that God has given to me, and I'm thankful uh, for Kyle and Tressa, the friendship that we have. Uh, I'm just, uh, I just never imagined I'd get to be here, and uh, it's just super cool to me uh, to have this opportunity. Uh, we got a chance to serve together in uh, Indiana at Hoosier Hills Baptist Camp for a week, and uh, the camp director decided to go off and adopt a kid and leave us all by ourselves for a week, didn't he? And, uh, and so we... Uh, uh, we got to know each other that week and so glad the Lord's continued that connection uh, that brings us here together with you uh, to get to meet you and have a great time. The marriage conference was just a blessing. And uh, it's really good when you can stand and just, just speak from a cup that's overflowing. Uh, not a cup that's perfect, but a cup that's overflowing. And sometimes cups that are full, they get bumped and stuff splashes out of it. And uh, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. And uh, we're just grateful uh, that we have a God that knows how to fill our cup. Praise the Lord for His goodness. I enjoyed the music today, enjoyed singing uh, those songs. Some were new to me, some were old, uh, but the message was clear. And I praise the Lord uh, for that opportunity to sing and worship together with you. Open your Bibles, if you would, uh, this morning to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in two specific passages today that I think it's going to be encouraging to tie uh, together everything that we have uh, heard this weekend. And I hope that you will let the Word of God uh, speak to your heart. Matthew chapter number 22 is where we're going to be. We're going to begin there in just a moment, and then we're going to go to Luke chapter number 6. But let me, uh, let me if I can, lay, lay the foundation uh, this, this morning. All right, so let's imagine that, that today you got up and uh, you went into the kitchen. You're going to make you a, a, a cup of tea. And so you took out your kettle, you filled it with water, you put a, a raspberry tea bag into the kettle. You turned the front right burner up, and it brought the kettle to a boil. And if you have those old-fashioned ones, it began to whistle at you, all right, letting you know that the, the water was boiling. And so uh, you poured the tea into your cup, you sip it, and then you changed your mind. You decided you didn't want raspberry tea. You're just not clicking raspberry tea today. And so uh, you, you want to change that. And so you picked up the pot and you moved it to the back right burner. And so you turned the back right burner on and it got hot. The water began to boil again. The kettle began to whistle. And you poured a little bit out of the, out of the pot into your cup. You tasted it and it's still raspberry. But you don't want raspberry tea. That, that, that is not what you want. You're just not feeling it. You're just not wanting it. So you take your kettle, you move it from the back right burner to the left back burner. You turn it up on high, it begins to boil, and you pour it out. And there's still what in, in, in the cup? Raspberry. raspberry. But I don't want raspberry tea for crying out loud. I keep telling you this. I want something different. And so I take the pot off the back left burner. I move it to the front left burner. And I turn it up on high. It begins to boil. I put it in my cup. And I still have... Raspberry tea, okay? If, if I want something different in the pot, I have to change what's in the pot, not the burner that it sits on. And unfortunately, in our culture today, what we've been taught is if you don't like what's in your pot, change your burner. Uh, meaning this, I don't like what I'm getting out of my marriage I'll divorce this one, I'll remarry another one, and hopefully I'll get something better in the pot. 
And it doesn't work that way. More than likely, if you understand marriage, you're second, you're third, you're fourth. And I'm not picking or degrading divorce. I'm saying we learn that it's not necessarily the marriage that brings out something different. It's what's in the kettle that has to change. Um, I don't like my job. Me and my boss, we just don't get along. We don't hit it off. I'm going to quit that job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find another job. And then you recognize that you and your boss at that job don't hit it off. And you're the guy that moves from job to job, week to week, month to month, year to year. Could it be it's not the job? Could it be it's not the pot? I mean, uh, the, the boss. Could it be it's what's in you that is, is having issues? Oh, no, 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 it's not me, it's the boss, it, it's the moment, it's, it's the situation, and this happens in our churches. Well, me and pastor, we're just not clicking yet, and then you leave this church, and you're ready, you hop to another church. And then the next thing you know, you are uh, one of those people that get the title church hopper. Now, it may not happen in Montana as much as it does uh, in the southeast where there's a church on every corner and we can hop from church to church and, and, and keep rolling. Uh, but I'm sure even in Montana, uh, there are people that we know that are church hoppers and, and always blaming the church and the pastor or its people and not ever recognizing that it could be what's in the pot. So, so if we're going to change what's coming out, then we have to change what's, what, what, what's in the pot. Uh, the, the Bible says, out of the heart, out of the heart comes the issues of life. Uh, what's inside of us determines what comes out of us. Um, we're not going to talk about marriage today. We, we did that this weekend. But you're going to recognize that from the message, uh, this is really talking about marriage. This is really talking about jobs. This is really talking about relationships. This is really talking about sickness. This is really talking about difficulties. And, and, and we're going to dive into that today. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 22. Look at verse number 30. Let's start with verse 37. The Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Now, now get a quick understanding before we get going. Um, the heart, when, when the Bible references the heart, it's not talking about the muscle um, made of, of, of flesh, the organ that's pumping blood. Uh, literally, when the Bible references the heart, if you look at it in the Hebrew and the Greek both, um, it, it's referencing that that center of who we are, the, the center of our emotions, the center of our affections, the center of our passions. It is the real you. It's who you are. Have you ever heard a man tell his wife, I love you with all my I love you with all my heart. In the Bible, um, in the New Testament, we, we, we see the word heart. But did you know that in the Old Testament, they actually used another word for this? Are you ready for this, women? Can you imagine your husband in the Old Testament looking at you going, baby, I love you with my bowels. And then he goes on to say, you move me. No, just kidding. Um, that would be pretty disgusting, wouldn't it? Uh, I love you with both of my kidneys, right? That would be like, okay, that's kind of weird. Um, but the reason they said that is because he's not talking about a muscle, nor is he talking about an organ. He's talking about what happens inside of us when we're driven and moved. Okay, um, when you get angry, your heart begins to 
pump faster. Uh, when, when you get emotional, th- there's a knot in your stomach. You, you've heard that statement. And, 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 and that, that's the idea. So watch what the Bible says. Love the Lord thy God with all thy self, the center of who you are with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, I, I love the word. The word for soul is the idea of psyche. You know, you know, when God made you and me, he made us different than animals. The Bible says we're made with a body and a soul and a spirit in the trichotomy of God himself. And what God gave us different than animals is the psyche, which is the ability to think and have intellect. Okay, a dog doesn't have intellect. Um, we think he does because he knows how to fetch and roll and play. And dogs are make, uh, awesome that way. But dogs don't have the ability to discern. Uh, meaning this, I know you love your dog and you think your dog loves you and your dog is loyal to only you. But you give me time with him, feeding him ribeye steak, he'll love me too. <laughs> Okay, and again, I love animals, I love dogs, I love cats, I, I, no I don't, I just told a lie in church. I love dogs, okay, and, uh, and, but, um, but, but they're, they're animals, they haven't been given a psyche, they react based upon their DNA and how they're designed. Uh, a lion will never eat at a salad buffet, he will always eat meat. He's designed that way, he's not going to discern that he's unhealthy and get a little chubby and, just, and needs to eat lettuce now. Um, but he's just not designed that way. We have an intellect. We have an ability to think and determine to decide to believe or not. And God gave us that. All right. So the Bible says, I need to love the Lord my God with all the inner emotions that I am and with my psyche, the ability to determine and to decide and with all my mind. Because once my mind has settled in on something, thus I am. So the word of God is clear that this is how I am to love God, starting with my what? My heart. Now here's some interesting things that I want us to recognize today about the heart. Um, this, this whole idea of this Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Don't turn there. You understand that Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the on the mount, Jesus has, I believe, he is speaking directly to his disciples, but a crowd is also there overhearing their conversation. That's my opinion. I don't think he was speaking to the crowds. I think he was speaking to the disciples, and a crowd has followed and is listening to this conversation. So Matthew chapter 7, he's trying to debunk wrong thinking. That is the best way to look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You have heard it said... Fill in the blank. But I say. So he's taken a group of 12 who is about to change the world and he is putting them upside down and trying to help them to rethink what it's really all about. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. Some believe that the parallel passage to that is Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter number 6. And go ahead and turn your Bibles there and let's get ready uh, to, to, to see some things in that passage. Luke chapter number 6. Um, Uh, Verse 45, for instance. Ready? Luke chapter 6 and verse number 45. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the treasure, the word treasure there just simply means this, it's what he finds important, of his heart. The treasure of his what? His heart. So what his heart has deemed important. 
A good man out of his heart, what he deems important, watch what the Bible says, brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance, that's the, the, the surplus of what's in his heart, the mouth speaketh. So, so, so the Bible says, what I have going on inside of me that I deem important is going to roll out of my mouth. It's going to roll through my thoughts. It's going to influence my thinking. So what's in my heart, so a man has in his heart, so is he. Keep thy heart with all what? Diligence, for out of it are what? The, the, the issues of life, the things we deem important. Matthew chapter 13, you don't have to turn there. I love this passage. This is going to be more of an illustration, a biblical illustration. Ready? Uh, Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the field and the pearl. The Bible says this, and again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Okay, so, so, so watch what the text is saying. The Bible says a man is walking home from work. This is literally what the Bible is saying. He's walking home from work. He's thinking. He's probably just kind of kicking. You ever done that before? You're just kind of, you're, you're just kind of contemplating, and while you're doing that, you're kicking a rock or just kicking up dirt. And all of a sudden, he kicks something, and it sparkles. And he finds that interesting, and so he stops, and he, he reaches down, and he, and he picks it up, and he inspects it. And it's a treasure. It's something very valuable. And he, and he looks around and he sees something else sparkling. And he, and he picks it up. And, he, and, and then he recognizes that all in this area there are these, these treasures, these stones, maybe diamonds or chunks of gold or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's just coins. But the Bible says he, he realizes it's there. And how amazing this is and how life-changing this is. So he contemplates, I could have this, or I could have that. The Bible says he goes home and he sells everything he has because he recognizes that nothing he has in this life is as valuable as what he has found. And he takes it and he goes down to the bank and he says, hey guys, look, um, I, I, I want to sell everything that I have and I want to buy plot number 275. And so he sells everything he has, he gets the paperwork, he buys plot 275 because he has recognized what's on plot 275 is more valuable than what's on plot 121. Okay, so that's, that's the idea here. So watch what Jesus is teaching. There's got to come a point where we as God's people recognize that the treasure we have in Jesus is more valuable than any treasure that we have on earth. And this is what the text is trying to tell us. And that has to be determined where? In the heart. Notice the Bible. David prayed in Psalm 139, in verse 23, he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, oftentimes, I can tell what moves somebody, not necessarily by their emotions, but by what they're connected to, what drives them. David said, Lord, know my heart. And then he says this, and know my thoughts. 
and see, the Bible says, if there be any wicked way in me. And then what I want you to do, Lord, is after you survey that, lead me into the way that's everlasting. David references that the heart, what's in here, is what matters. Okay? Um, when I stood at the altar on, Gen on June the 15th, 1996, in Greenwood, South Carolina, and the pastor was standing there with me and my soon-to-be wife, when he says, Ray McCormick, do you give yourself this to this woman to be married in sickness and in health? You know what I'm talking about? In, in, in poor and in wealth, as long as you both shall live, till death do you part, blah, 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 blah. Are you with me? I know some of you wrote your own. Congratulations for you. I'm just not that smart. I copied and pasted mine. Okay? Uh, so so we, we, we understand what this is saying. At that moment, when he asked that question, here's what I did. I said what? Ready? I, no, not actually. What I said is I don't. When I said I do to her, I said I don't to everyone else. And a lot of times we emphasize the I do, but we don't emphasize the I don't. I'm saying I do to you, saying I don't to every other woman. Because now you possess my heart. You're my, the, the, the center focal point of everything that I do, and therefore the rest gets an I don't. Okay, this is what we must understand about the heart and we must understand about love. When God said, do you love me with all your heart and your soul and your mind, he's asking for you to tell him what you're saying no to. And I can prove that from the word of God. So let's understand a couple of things about love before we go any further. Number one, a couple things about love. Um, understanding the heart, understanding what's in the heart. Ready? Number one, what's in the heart will only reproduce what's already there. What's in your heart will only produce what's already there. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. And your wife knows you can't fake it. And your husband knows when you are faking it. And the world knows when you're faking it. You can't fake it. What's in your heart will only produce what's already there. Just like the tea bag in the pot. Okay, number two. Number two. The heart responds as a result to how much is there. All right, so, so I'm a Duke fan. I've, I hope this doesn't bother you, but I, I was born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. I chose not to be a Tar Heel. I chose to be a Blue Devil. I know a preacher cheering for devils, that's hard to, to contemplate, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, but I, I'm a fan of Duke. Therefore, you'll know it because of, of what comes out, what I wear, the ball cap I put on, the sweatshirt. Matter of fact, my tennis shoes, my mother. Oh, I'm so grateful for my mom. She bought me a pair of Duke Nike tennis shoes. So they're Duke blue and they got a D on the heel of them, man. It, it, you can see it. You can see it because of what I love is going to come out of me. My favorite car, and, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, you would know it. You would know it if you walked into my garage. You'd have no doubt what my favorite car is. It's not a Ford. It's not a Chevy. It's not a Dodge. You're like, how can you have a favorite car that's one of those? Because my favorite car is a Mustang. I don't care who makes it. I love Mustangs. I have little Mustang posters and matchbox cars. I don't own one. I hope someday God will let me. I just can't get seven kids into one. I, if I could figure that out, we would, we would already have it. 
But but I, I, I love I love Mustangs, and you can see it because because here's the truth of the matter. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that what's in the heart will only produce what's already there. The heart responds as a result of how much is there. And then thirdly, the heart will always reveal itself. It, it'll never hide. It, it just comes out. And we've got to recognize the power of our heart and what's in our heart. And our drive today is not necessarily to say, I'm in love with my wife, she has my heart. But what God is saying is this. You can't love me if you love your wife and husband more than me. If you're not willing to leave father and mother and children, yea, everything, you cannot be my disciples. That's bold. That's, that's, that's really, really bold. And I believe if there's something that our church, Ray McCormick, and our people in Casa Grande and the people here in Whitehall, Montana recognize is that he has got to have our heart supremely above all else. And I want us to take some time to look at another passage and let this passage be a help uh, to us today. How in the world do I love with all my heart? Go to Luke chapter number 14 now. Luke chapter 14. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 14, to a passage that we as a people uh, would say is very harsh. We kind of bumped this at the marriage conference briefly, and I want to kind of close out the weekend by focusing on this passage, okay? Loving God, to love God with all my heart. Now, now, now let's look at uh, this passage together. Luke chapter 14, specifically, let's look at verse number... Uh, let's look at verse number 25. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 25. So here's what the Bible says. And there uh, went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them. Okay, so you have to understand the context of the passage. Jesus has been ministering uh, for a short time. He's gathered his disciples, but with that he's gathered a large multitude. And right at this moment he is going to whittle out those that are there because they love him or those that are there because they want to show. This is literally what's about to happen. By the way, I want to be careful. I am for great movements of God, but with every great movement of God are some, a small number who are there for God and then a large number who are there for the show. That's how we're built. It has always been. I know there's a lot of Twitter and Facebook about Asbury Revival. I hope that revival's legit, but you have to know that even in that crowd, there are there that are there for God and for a change, and there are a bunch who are showing up for the show. We always have that throughout history. Every single revival has seen it, but we don't need to downplay the movement of God. We've got to be sure we can discern God in the movement. Okay, so, so when we're looking at this passage, this is literally what has happened. Massive crowd following Jesus. Jesus is walking and he stops. This is what is happening. And he turns to the crowd. And here's what he says. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot 
be my disciple. Wow. I mean, what a dividing statement. So, so it, at this moment, literally what's going to happen is the crowd is going to disperse. It, it's going to get smaller instead of greater. Well, aren't, aren't we for greater crowds? Um, yes, theoretically, if the crowd is going to be surrendered to God. Hallelujah for that. You can't be right with God if you don't want to see more people be right with God. I mean, that, that is wonderful. But what Jesus is trying to get us to recognize is where our heart is and what our complete motive is for who we are. And so, so in this passage, we're going to see several things. First of all, we've got to understand the word hate. What is the opposite of love? Hate. Okay, what does the word hate mean? And we mentioned this again, but let's kind of touch on it one more time. Uh, the word hate in our context, when I say I hate, how does it make you feel? It's a very degrading, very dark, very um, aggressive form of wanting to, uh, if you're saying it to somebody, if I said, I hate you, your response is, man, you would rather have me dead. All right, it is, it is the bottom of the bucket. And that's our word for hate. And just to be light, as a Duke fan, if you know anything about sports, I hate North Carolina. I mean, that, that, that's our rival. I hate North Carolina. I don't know who it is for Montana, but if you cheer for the University of Montana, you hate Montana State. Montana State. Oh, man. I want Montana State to lose every single time I never want them to win. Right? Okay? That, that, that's the idea. You got the word for hate. All right. How many of you cheer for Montana State? No. Wow. <laughs> they are pretty. Uh, we have one person in the room that's hated. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, so so uh, you understand the idea. But that's not the biblical word here. Matter of fact, let's, let's show it throughout Sure. Um, uh, in the Bible, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, Isaac had two sons. What were his two sons' names? Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob have I loved, the Bible says. Esau hath I hated. Well, wait a minute. God is love. So how can God hate Esau? All right, now, now we can even look a little deeper into that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, the trickster, right, um, fell in love with Rachel, and he worked four years for her, only to be surprised on his wedding night that dad slipped in the oldest daughter, Leah, first. Jacob goes on to emphasize later, I love Rebecca, I hate Leah. Okay, all right, wait a minute. Really? I mean, did he really? No, that's not the word. Matter of fact, we can go into the New Testament as well and see the same idea that Jesus is portraying in this passage. Um, uh, here's another one, ready? Uh, you can't love God and mammon or money, okay? You will cleave to one and what? Hate the other. Okay, no man can serve two masters. Okay, so the word here is not our word for hate. The word here is the idea of lesser. 
If you actually look up the definition in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's not the way we approach it. The word actually means lesser. Esau is lesser to me than Jacob. Leah is lesser to me than Rebekah. God is greater than mammon. So we have to understand when Jesus said, if you don't hate your father or mother, he wasn't saying you die. Your life to be miserable because I hate my mom and dad. Okay, no, 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 no. That is not what it means at all. It means that mom and dad, in order to serve God and love him, they have to be lesser. Your children have to be lesser. Why would God tell a dad to love his children and to love his wife only to contradict himself later and say hate them? Because it's just the wrong word. The, the word is lesser. When I married her, every woman became lesser. That's what it means. So notice the passage today as we're going to think about your heart today and give you some practical instruction from the word of God about what our love should be in compared to everything else. And I hope this is so helpful and practical that we can learn to love God with all of our heart, soul, and might and make everything else lesser. Okay? So, so here's three things. If you want to write these down, I hope that you would. Number one, understanding how to love God with all my heart means this. To love God is to abandon every other love. To love God is to abandon every other love. Well, I love Dallas, but I also love the Redskins. You, you can't do that. I love the Yankees, but I also love the Red Sox. It, it's, it's just not possible. You, you can't love two things, ready, within its truest meaning. You just can't. I, honey, I love you, but I also love that girl Charlene that I met last week. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, oh, you understand? I mean, it, it, it's so clear there. It's so clear in the sports world. Why isn't it that clear with God himself? God, I love you, but God, I also love me. God, I know I say I love you, but, but I also love and fill in the blank. That's, that's the issue God is trying to get at. And when he speaks to these people, what is going to happen shortly after this is the crowd's going to get smaller. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a recognition of who really loves God. You cannot love two. Literally, the definition is to abandon every other love. Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. It no longer has control of you. God has control of you. I am abandoning every other love. So, so let's make this practical. Let's make it practical, all right? I love practical teaching, all right? Um, Lord, I know you've, you've asked me to do this. Go and fill in that blank for you. What is the this for you? I know you've asked me to do this. But, okay, if, if, if I can toss in the word but, 
have I abandoned every other love for him? God, I, I know you're leading me to give that but, and, and, and I know you're leading me to go there, but, and I know you're telling me that I should walk with you, but I'm too busy. I know I should spend time communicating with you in prayer, but. That means I have not abandoned. Have we ever thought about turning the tide? Ready? Here, here goes practical. Here goes practical. You know, I would love to look at Facebook this morning, but sorry, Facebook. I love him. We never think about flipping that, do we? I would pray this morning, but I need to spend time on Facebook. Let's flip it. Hey, Facebook, I'd love to spend time with you, but I've abandoned you for him. Isn't that practical? Isn't that beautiful? Because that's what I do for her. When, when a woman walks by, let's be practical, and my eye catches her and her beauty. And by the way, that's not sin. That's design. God made that. But the next step becomes sin. When I begin to abandon her to have mental relationship with her, I've said I love her more than her. Okay? So at that point, I abandon. She is beautiful. The Bible says Rachel was beautiful to look upon. So there's nothing wrong with beauty. Now at this point, I'm going to abandon that because I love her. Do you understand the practicality? Love God with all your heart. Every bit of it. A-L-L means to abandon every other love. God, I know I'm supposed to be in church, but how about this? I know there's a game on. But God wants me to be in church. You see how you flipped it. Okay? So, so, so notice the word of God and its clarity. What he's trying to teach us in order to walk with him. Number two. Number two. In order to love God with all my heart, this means that I must make every other love subordinate to that great love. Um, the reason we bumped up against this at the marriage conference, to be practical, is, is we were teaching that in marriage, it, it's not about the kids first, it's about the wife or the husband first, and the kids are next. It's not that you don't love your kids. Uh, I, I know there's kids all in this room, and as parents, we deeply love them, but my, uh, my understanding of love is this from the Bible, she gets my first and they get my second. I can't swap that. And kids, that's the way it should be. That's what you want out of your mom and dad. You want them to love each other supremely, and they'll be everything they need to be for you. Okay? But if that's out of whack, your relationship will be out of whack. All right? So, 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 so that was the illustration. So what has happened is, um, in our world, we have made our wives subordinate to our children. I'll give you affection and love after I've dealt with the kids. Now, I know the practicality of life sometimes calls for late nights and diapers and running, rubbing, uh, wiping runny noses. We, we get that, right? But you know most of the time when you say that, that's not what you're referring to. Because although marriage is what brought us together, in our culture, it's the children that's keeping the marriage together. And that cannot be. Why? Because every other love must be subordinate to that love. Somebody asked me, you know, don't you love the ministry? I do love the ministry. I love pastoring. I love preaching. I love traveling. But the ministry is subordinate to her. Actually, 
It's more than that. My church and my people, and you ought to expect this out of your pastor, my first love is to God, my second love's my wife, my third love's my children, and then the church gets the leftovers. And I know that sounds awkward, but it's not. And it cannot be. And, and when my marriage is out of whack is when my wife got the leftovers. And it's so important that we keep this understanding right and organized. Why? Because every love should be subordinate to the greatest love. So now let's apply that scripturally. If you love God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind, is it okay to enjoy other things? As long as they stay subordinate to that greatest love. And sometimes what is oozing out of our pot is something that we don't like. And that's because that thing that we um, have put in that pot is greater than what should be in the pot. And it's just messing up the dynamic. So, so notice what Christ is teaching here in 1 John chapter 2. Let me read it to you, verse 3 through 6. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He saith that he abideth in him ought also to walk in him, even as he walked. It's sim simply saying in the passage, how do I know that I'm in love with God and he's number one? It's because I'm subordinate to him. I obey him. I obey him. If you love me, keep my commandments. But the cool thing is, if I love him first, I will be a great husband. And if I love him first, I will be a great daddy. And if I love him first, I will be an amazing employer. And if I put him first, I'll be an awesome church member. And, and that's the way it works. But he has got to be supreme and everything subordinate to that. Number three, and we're done. Number three. If I'm going to love God with all my heart, I have to abandon every other love. Number two, every other love must be subordinate to the greatest love. And number three means all my expectations are in one love. You know why a lot of us are miserable? It's because our expectations are in so many other things. And we keep getting let down. Our expectations must be in God alone. Because if it is, when we get cancer, we're still in love. And we know that God works all things together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I can trust you, God. I'm in love with you. I know you're in love with me, so I can trust you. It's beautiful. When you and I recognize that all my expectations need to be in him. Even in death, Paul would say this, for me to live is, and to die is what? Gain, because it's all about him. I love what Paul says in, first, in Philippians chapter 1 about this. It's one, to me, it's one of the most beautiful passages. Paul says, I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place. I'm in a straight betwixt two. There's a part of me that wants to go and be with him because I'm just in love with him. And there's a part of me that wants to stay. And then he goes on to say this, but if I stay, it's that your joy might be full. Have you ever stopped and paused and say, you know what? I'm here because I'm in love with God and he's using me to impact the life of somebody else, not the other person influencing my impact. 
I'm telling you. Life changes when our love is right and focused on him. All of our expectations are in one. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies, bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who has promised. Who has your love today? The, the best marriage conference in the world ends with this thought. Are you in love with her? Or are you in love with him? When I say him, not your husband, I'm referring to heaven, to Christ, to God. Are you in love with him, husband? Are you in love with him, wife? Are you in love with him, children? Are you in love with God? That's the foundation. All right, so, so let's get practical. We close with this. What's in your teapot? What's in your teapot? Because what's in your teapot is what's going to come out. Who are you in love with? What are you in love with? I think we need as God's people change what's in the pot. And love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and with all of our might. Father, thank you for the time you've given us together today in your word. Help us to be in love with you supremely. Lord, I ask that we would make every other thing in our life subordinate to you. That we would find all of our expectations and joy and hope in you. Not in our spouses, not in our jobs, not in our toys. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to recognize above all else. That not only does our expectations have to be in you and everything subordinate to you. But Lord, everything has to be lesser compared to you. And help us, Lord, to start with our flesh bringing that into subjection, ourselves, and then everything else to follow. We'll be careful to praise you. Thank you for just a sweet church who wants to hear the word of God, who needs the word of God. I pray that you would use them to fall in love with you in a greater way. In Jesus' precious name we pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, I don't know exactly how the Lord spoke to your heart. But here's what I hope he did. I hope he revealed to you right now that there might be some things that are greater in your life that should be made lesser. If that's the case, why don't you come to an altar and say, God, I give it to you. Lord, help me to be mindful every day to die to myself. Maybe right there in your seat, would you respond to God and say, Lord, I've let this or that be greater when it must be lesser. There are some things that are not subordinate to you. There are things in my life that are out of order. There's stuff in my, my teapot, in my heart, that I don't like. And I'm going to quit looking at it for an escape route. I'm going to look for a change. Taking out the old, replacing it with the new. I hope that the Lord will speak to your heart today and use these thoughts to draw you closer to Him.
The music plays and you can still take a few moments here and just spend time in prayer. I hope that you will. Allow God to continue to minister to your heart, speak to your heart this morning. What do you love? What is the supreme love in your life? If it's anything other than God, things are out of, out of order. I hope this morning that we'll realize that we'll respond to God the way that He intends for us to respond in humility and put Him in the position that He should have. The Bible tells us that in all things He might have the preeminence. It means He's over everything. Everything else is in submission to Him. And I hope that's the prayer of your life. Isaac's going to come. He's going to lead us in that song that we sang earlier today. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thine be done. I hope that's your prayer this morning. If he is the supreme love of your life, you'll be able to sing that from your heart and uh, really mean it. So Isaac, you come. You lead us in that this morning.